0: here's today's poem sundays too my father got up early and put his clothes on in the blue black cold and with cracked hands that ached from labor in the weekday weather made banked fires blaze no one ever thanked him i'd wake and hear the cold splintering breaking when the rooms were warm he'd call and slowly i would rise and dress fearing the chronic angers of that house speaking indifferently to him who had driven out the cold and polished my good shoes as well. What did I know? What did I know of love's austere and lonely offices? That's the poem Those Winter Days by poet Robert Hayden. And as with the last poetry explication that we did, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the author because I would rather get into the words than the individual. So, briefly... Robert Hayden was born in August of 1913 and died February 25th, 1980. He was a black poet who wrote many works of Afro-American poetry. He served as, most famously, as the consultant in poetry to the U.S. Library of Congress from 1976 to 1978. This is the formal title for the position we commonly refer to as the U.S. Poet Laureate. They are the senior advocate for poetry at the Library of Congress and usually a very accomplished poet in their own right. He was also a professor at Fisk University and the University of Michigan. He described himself as a poet who teaches in order to earn a living so that he can write a poem or two now and then. So that should give you an idea a little bit of the man himself. And Those Winter Days is a poem that he wrote back in the mid 20th century, and it is his most popular, and that's what we'll look at today as I kind of stumble through another poetry explication with you. And for those that haven't gone back and listened to the first poetry explication, it is, explications are essentially a means of dissection or analysis of a work of poetry or writing so as to discern deeper meaning from the words therein. So that's what we're going to do, and there's a method that we employ to do that. And as I mentioned in the first, this is quite literally the second time that I've done this. So this is a learning experience for me. I'm doing it here live so that you can hear what I hear and see what I see. And hopefully again, the the goal here is to see that poetry need not be this frightening, scary thing to be avoided in life for those of us that don't naturally take to it or didn't study it in school, but rather something that we should embrace and welcome and be excited about because When we take the time to go through the process of an explication and to attempt to discern deeper meaning from a poem. As you'll see today, I hope, the process is very revealing. And there's a lot more to a lot of the words than first meets the eye. And I know one of the questions I've received has been, you know, well, how do you choose or how do you intend to choose poems for your explications. And I'll be completely honest, there really is not a methodology to it. It's, it's something about the only criteria, there are two criteria that I put on, at least for the time being. One of those is that the poem has to be of reasonable length. There are wonderful, wonderful works out there that I would love to go into. But if you think about each line and each stanza, I mean, this poem, as we'll talk about, is, what, 14 lines? And in 14 lines... If we spend time going through each and every one of those and digging out the, the, the subtle nuances of each one, the episodes get unmanageable, and you don't want to listen to that. And I don't want to record that and force you to listen to it. So, that's one. And two, it needs to be something that's reasonably easily approachable to start with. So, popular poems are good. I try to go a little off the beaten path, but not too far, into things that are interesting that there's something at, there's, there's many levels of analysis available, right? There's the just read it once and take from it what you take from it, and you're probably going to get something good out of it. Then there's the let's go a step deeper, and then there's the let's go even further than that. And so ideally, at first glance, the poem has something to it that, that catches my eye. And that's my own personal interests and, and my own personal lenses that I apply to that. But I do try to be cognizant of the fact that I'm not the only one who's going to hear myself talk about this. So, if you have recommendations, I welcome them. I would love to get into poetry uh, recommendations from listeners who have a particular interest in the area or are just curious. Just want to hear me dissect something that they recommend. Happy to do so. Please, by all means, shoot me an email. Visit me on social media and let me know what it is you'd like me to tackle next in the next poetry explication. My goal... We'll see if I'm able to do this. Is do this about once every ten episodes or so. So um, maybe more frequently if we if if this turns out to be a very popular thing. But for right now, I think one every ten episodes is probably good. This is not a poetry podcast, but there are certainly wonderful things to unlock in the words that are that were written by by others and continue to be written by others in poetic form. So we will touch on them, but it I don't want to dominate the entire. Uh, the entire stream with just poetry so back to the topic at hand now i generally consider it to be good practice to consider the words themselves sort of alone but in this case because we know a little bit of something about the author namely that he is black in this case that context helps a little bit with this sometimes it doesn't sometimes i don't necessarily think that it matters Obviously, everything that we say or do is derivative of something else, right? It's some some synthesis of information or experiences over time that lead us to say and believe and, and do the things that we say, believe, and do. So, in this case, the fact that the poet is Black himself changes the context of this poem a little bit. And I think in this case, though not always, that his race does matter. and in that it informs his poetry, specifically this poem, and changes the poem's context. Naturally, my mind goes to the same place that maybe yours did, which is, it makes me want to experiment and have someone choose an obscure poem, not knowing, and have me not know the author at all, and do an explication just based on the words alone, knowing nothing of where it came from, doing no research on who wrote it, and seeing how that maybe changes the what, what comes out of the poem. So perhaps that's a future episode right there. Perhaps I'm too big for my bridges. I don't know. But again, we've gone afield. So, for the explication, let's again remind ourselves of the format that we follow. And this is something that I found doing some research on how to do a poetry explication. And it was a nice package that I found online uh, of an explanation of what an explication is. And it comes from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill at their writing center. And there are a few things they ask us to do. So so make mental note of these, and then we'll go through the poem again, and then we'll start to dissect it. So the things that the UNC Chapel Hill Writing Center recommends are, first, to consider the poem as a dramatic situation. Then there are a series of questions. There are six of them. The first it asks is, what is being dramatized? Next, who is the speaker? then, what happens in the poem? Fourth is, when does the action occur? Fifth is, where is the speaker? And sixth is, why does the speaker choose to speak now? So, keeping those things in mind, considering the poem a dramatic situation, and then asking yourself, what is being dramatized? Who is the speaker? What happens in the poem? When does the action occur? Where is the speaker? And why does the speaker choose to speak now? I'm going to reread the poem to you and start thinking about those things as we go through the remainder of the poem, or excuse me, the remainder of the episode. Here's Those Winter Sundays by Robert Hayden. Sundays too, my father got up early and put his clothes on in the blue-black cold. Then, with cracked hands that ached from labor in the weekday, weather made banked fires blaze. No one ever thanked him. I'd wake and hear the cold, splintering, breaking. When the rooms were warm, he'd call, and slowly I would rise and dress, fearing the chronic angers of that house. Speaking indifferently to him, who had driven out the cold and polished my good shoes as well, what did I know? What did I know of love's austere and lonely offices? And again, it's important to note here that I'm doing this cold. There's a couple of notes that I've jotted down from having read this a couple of times to kind of guide the conversation, but this is. I have not deliberately not gone and read other explications. You can punch this poem in and it's popular enough and well-known enough that you can find a variety of analyses. I know because as I was researching this, I saw them. And so, understand that the observations here are my own. They may or may not match with anything that other people see, but this is the way that I see it. And I think, as a poet, that's what people, that's what they ultimately want. There isn't one definition. There isn't one perspective. Sort of like artists in galleries. People stand and stare and notice different things, and it means different things to different people. Some people can be very emotionally moved by a piece, be it a poem or a painting or a sculpture, and others completely indifferent. They just don't see what that other person sees. And the chances that either one of those two people sees what it is that the author or artist or sculptor meant or saw when they were creating it is extremely low as well. So with that in mind, let's take the first piece of UNC Chapel Hill's advice and consider the dramatic situation. So where are we? When I look at this, I think immediately of, of an old home, right? Most, most homes today don't, ha- don't require someone to get up in the morning and make a fire. So this is probably an old home, maybe something with a wood stove. And it's, like most wood fires, maybe it's a fireplace, maybe it's a wood stove, it requires new logs in the morning, right? Probably the fire was stoked at night before everybody tucked themselves into bed so the space is nice and warm. You get in your bed under those blankets, wherever your room happens to be, warmed by that fire in this relatively small old home. And as fires tend to do, they consume their fuel, and by the time the next morning comes around, that fire needs new fuel. Because last night's has died out. And so the father rises and works, and then eventually the child follows. I think that's a pretty self-evident dramatic situation that's playing out before us here. Who is the speaker? Well, I think this is also pretty self-evident. This is the child of the father. And it doesn't say that it is a a boy or a girl, although I think there's some things we might be able to infer. Shined shoes. If the father shined the the child's shoes—remember, this is a Sunday morning, based on the title of the poem— that this is probably a young boy. So this is a young boy who is the speaker. Now the he's a speaker in this what could be a memory, which we'll come to in a minute. But it's likely that this is this this is more of a retrospective, right? Of course, in this scenario, I wonder to myself. Well, maybe who could it be if it was not a child? Now I think in this it's it's evident because there's the the term father is used, um, and there's a there's a sense of the performance of duties that other that another may not be able to do. This child may not have been able to or capable or considered safe enough, responsible enough to tend to a fire. So a father is doing a task on behalf of this child. But what if it were a husband or if it were the even the child of an elderly, sick parent? The context changes a little bit. And I think that's an interesting thought process to, to have. So here we have a child in a home whose father wakes up and begins to, to build a fire to warm the home before calling the rest of the family, at the very least this child, down to the, to the warmer spaces. And so what happens in the poem? That's the next question. What happens? And I think it's pretty clear that this is a retrospective. You can tell by the final line in the poem, you know, what did I know? What did I know of love and, you know, love's austere and lonely offices? So this is a retrospective. Now, this retrospective could have been recent. Maybe it's years in the future. And then as I went down that path and I said, well, how far back was this? Was this some great epiphany that happened the same day with the child where he said, oh, my gosh, I've been. I've been cold to a father who's done all this for me. What did I even know? unlikely, right? It's unlikely that a young child, relatively young boy, again, this is my perspective, is this is a relatively young boy whose father gets up, makes a fire, and shines his shoes for him on Sunday morning. It's highly unlikely that that child had some great epiphany at that age. This, I think, is something that happens later in life. That's the way I perceive it. This is an adult thinking back. It could be that the, the father has recently passed. It could be that he's recently reconnected with that father. But I think for me anyway the most poignant way to think of this is that maybe this is a father now this is a this is someone who was a child and is now a father and is now performing some form of or maybe exactly what he is describing his father to have done when he was a child for his own children now and he is realizing that when he was the age of the children for whom he is performing this task whether it be making a fire whether it be going out in the rain to retrie- retrieve a child's toy the 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 speaker in question in my mind is taking on a burden a thankless burden on behalf of his family and he's reminiscing about how his father did that for him when he was a child and how little he appreciated it at the time almost as if to say ah Now I understand. So perhaps, perhaps it's not that. There are many interpretations of what this could be. But that's the one, I think, to me that that speaks the most loudly. And so when does this occur? Obviously, as it's a retrospective, it happens in the past. Obviously, it's the morning time. It's cold. The descriptor of blue-black is a very interesting one. You don't hear that term used very often. But it adds a certain amount of depth to the description of the word cold. It could have just said gotten up in the cold. He didn't have to say the blue-black cold. So why say that? Why, for a poet who's only got 14 lines or chosen 14 lines for this poem, why use that extra word? Well, blue-black is more evocative. It's more evocative of emotion than just saying it's cold. To say it's blue-black cold, that tells us a little more about that. And the way to interpret that, I guess, would be maybe... It could mean before dawn. We all know that sometimes when you look outside, in the middle of the night, it's very, very dark. This could be just before the dawn when color is just starting to come into the sky and that black is softening just a bit. And it almost looks bluish, right? It looks like a very dark blue, like an inky blue-black. Well, there you go. That could be where the term comes from. It also implies a certain amount of dread, right? There is a... You know that there in the... In the mind of this father, he knows the responsibility he has to get up and make this fire. And he knows that he's tired. He knows it's going to be cold. When he pushes that blanket, when he peels that blanket up for the first time in the morning, he knows it's going to be cold. He knows it's going to be a shock. He knows his hands are going to ache. So the blue-black, to me, also implies a certain sense of dread or avoidance. And it's an avoidance that the father overcomes in order to perform his tasks. And then we hear the child say that only when his father tells him that the space is warm... Does he dare emerge? And even then, there's a hesitancy to step out into that blue-black cold, even if it is slightly warmer than it was. So that's how I look at, at, at what is occurring there. Now the question is, where is the speaker? This is the fifth of six questions. Where is the speaker? Now, we don't know. Again, I've speculated that he could be performing a thankless task on behalf of his children and realizing that, at one point his father did the same for him and he didn't appreciate it. But maybe he's making a fire, maybe he's on his deathbed and he's thinking back to his youth. Or maybe he's at a doctor finding out that he can't have children. And so he'll never have this and he'll never have that opportunity to um, care for them in a a thankless kind of way. I don't know. And there's a reminiscence here. Then? Oh, that's interesting. That could be this this when i thought of you know the difference between where the speaker is now versus where the speaker was then the thing that popped into my mind and i'm actually really glad that it did is that despite the fact that we're talking about a father getting up and making a fire to warm a space notice it's referred to as a space and you know, there's no mention of the word house or home i wasn't my father didn't rise in the morning to warm our home you know i didn't crawl out of my bed and move to a different part of the house those aren't words that the poet uses and sometimes what i have found at least in the last couple is sometimes it's the things that the poets don't say that can be just as valuable as the things they do so in this case the lack of the reference to house or home implies a coldness now the blue black takes a different a different tone right that term blue black we talked about avoidance and dread potentially well maybe the house is like that too the only time that he mentions the word house, it's not in a kind and welcoming way. It's when he says fearing the chronic angers of that house. So again, there's there's something here. There's something beneath this interaction of father and son. And so then the last question that that the writing center says to look at is, you know, why has the speaker chosen to speak now? And as I've kind of already alluded to, there's a number of reasons why. Is it to reminisce? Is there a, a sense of sadness? father is passing away, or maybe the child is passing away, and or the father has just done something that has taken a great toll on him and his, his children are ungrateful. Who knows? Maybe there's a sense of recognition or realization of the way that he treated someone who did so much for him that he didn't even realize it at the time. Perhaps this is a form of apology, right? Perhaps, I mean, we could take this back to the author and say, maybe this is a, a reminiscence or a memory from Robert Hayden's childhood. And this is his way of apologizing to his father, who may be alive or dead, and saying, what did I know? I didn't know. So I think that's why the speaker is choosing to speak now, is there's some there's some reason in the, in the moment now that causes them to reminisce about this. This is a reminiscence, this is a memory, this is a calling back of Sunday mornings as a child when his father would rise, Warm the house, shine the shoes, and prepare the family for the day. And there's a couple other things here that didn't necessarily, that, that jumped out at me, that didn't necessarily fit in one of those categories. So the first two words of the poem, Sundays 2, implies that the father is working on a what should be otherwise a day of rest. right? Whether the father works five or six days a week, what the poet is saying right out of the gate is, Sundays too. He didn't say on Sundays, he said Sundays too. So that means that this father is taking this burden on on the day, maybe the only day of a week where he would normally get rest, but he rose instead. There's something there. There's something to be admired about that. I think there's an interesting turn of phrase here where he says that he can hear the cold splintering and breaking. That's interesting, because I think what he's referring to, I think what he's doing there is he's taking the, the, the sounds that we associate with a fire, right? Splintering and breaking. Whether it's the father splitting wood, not likely that, right? That's a pretty loud activity to be doing first thing in the morning. But more than likely a fire, right? If you sit and listen to a fire crackle, you can hear that wood splintering as the moisture inside expands and the wood fibers give there's that cracking and splitting and breaking and he's overlaying that i think on the cold right as if the fire is causing the cold to splinter and crack and break and obviously the the heat is going out into that cold space and and it's and it's the cold is absorbing that heat right and the space is warming and so i thought that was an interesting overlay of something hot described as crackling and breaking and then overlaying that with cold the cold of the house that the the fire is is breaking and you can take this to another level of emotional depth right the father maybe he's angry doesn't like his job clearly there's anger in the home maybe that relationship between the father and son isn't great but the father does this thing that warms the space that changes the temperature so to speak and normally we associate hot with anger and cold uh, with indifference but in this case maybe it's you know, the cold of indifference and the warmth of a heart or something like that, where the father is doing a kind thing to improve the space. So there's an analog there. And much as I mentioned that, you know, there's no warm mention of house or home, there's only the the reference to anger, there's also no, you know, that that line of chronic anger in the home, again, implies a relationship that's not the strongest with the father and son. And here's something else that you didn't say didn't hear in the poem necessarily, is there's no mention of terms like dad or my papa or pop-pop or or anything of the sort, right? Those kind of affectionate terms for that position. Only father, right? The very clinical definition, biological father-type term. There's a coldness there. So clearly there's a strained relationship, and how much we read into that is completely dependent on us. Again, there's a first-pass look at this, I'd like to think we're looking at a you know a second or third pass at this. And if you consider, if you read through the poem, it's only 14 lines. If you read through it each time, considering one of these variables being slightly different, right? Change father to husband, change space to home, change father to pop pop. The context of the poem changes entirely. And I thought that was an interesting. Thought experiment to have, and that didn't occur to me until probably three or four readings into this. I've read through it a number of times. It didn't occur to me in all that time that the only mention is of of this person is as a father, not as a as a warm, um, affectionate term. And I think we kind of mentioned it before, but there are two levels here of driving out the cold, right? The fire in the house, and and there's at least in my mind there's a symbolic. There's two levels of symbolic overlay on top of that so there's the literal making a fire to drive out the cold of the house then there is the performing a task kind of the thing we just talked about performing a task that is a is a gesture of kindness right father could very easily say stay in bed and say go make your own fire warm your own house up you know you little brat like who knows and then there's the third level of this which is you know even more profound i think and that is isn't this kind of symbolic of what parenting is Right, You're raising a child and the world is cold, the world is mean, the world is scary, the world can do you harm, and a parent goes out ahead of the child, both literally in life and also figuratively throughout their um, their development, to clear a path for them, to change the space, to make the space safer, to, in the very literal sense, childproof the home, so as to avoid harm to that child. So there's a symbolic driving out of the cold at a couple of levels which I think is interesting as well. And then, you know, further further emphasizing that is later on in the poem when he talks about preparing and polishing shoes. You know, that that seems like something that is probably in my in my mind a a prep for going to church maybe. You want to have your good shoes that you wear that one time during the week. And not just preparing for church, but if we extend that a little bit further, the, the, the symbolic nature of parenthood is preparing for life, right? Dress for success, your appearance matters, a parent trying to set a child up for the very best of things. So that's the analysis, right? That's, that's, that's my pass on this. That's my take on this. I may or may not be right. If you've ever read this or, I mean, if you studied this in school and wrote an explication, I'd love to hear about it. I'd love to hear what you saw. If there was something in here that I missed, was there a big swing and a miss on this and I I totally overlooked something? Or was there something that I noticed that you found to be particularly profound that started you down an interesting thought path? Again, reach out. You can find me on all the social media links. Stay till the end of the episode to hear where they're at. But Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you can find me on all of those. Let me know. I'd love to hear it. So as we close today... Ask yourself, you know, you've probably already done so as I did, but look back on your own childhood, you know? Contemplate, think about the last line of the poem. Love's austere and lonely offices. Love's austere and lonely offices. It's profound. It's profound. And I hope you took something away from it as I did. Until next time, I'm Matthew Monroe. This is Quotations. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app or visit me at quotationspod.com to download and listen. Please also take a moment to recommend the podcast to a friend. That's a huge help. You can tweet at me at quotationspod. Send me an email to quotationspod at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at quotationspod or join the conversation on Facebook at quotationspod. I look forward to hearing from you. Welcome your feedback and thanks as always for listening.